listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies, a playwriting podcast. Every week we discuss plays we love, interview theater artists, and share our thoughts on playwriting and theater. We are your hosts, Sarah Cho. And Sam Collier. And on this episode, we're going to talk about the play Native Gardens by Karen Zacharias. It's one of my favorite plays about gardening, which Sarah <laughs> picked up on. It's something I, started, I really I started as a theme of your collection. <laughs> Well, okay. So, um, full disclosure: I first discovered this play when I was a couple years ago, pre-COVID. I was teaching a class um, called Intro to Drama at Unity College, which is an environmental college. And so, I was looking for plays that involve the natural world in some way, and I landed on the theme of home. Um, plays that have to do with the concept of home and specifically how that's influenced by the natural world. And so I found this play and it just seemed perfect to incorporate into my syllabus. And my students really liked it and we had the great opportunity to go see a production of it at Portland Stage on March 8th, 2020. So if you could take yourself back in time to that moment um, COVID was definitely circulating in the United States, but there were still shows happening <laughs> and we went, I got, um, I had to take a test and do this training to learn how to drive a big van. So I drove my students in a 12 passenger van down to Portland, Maine, and we saw this show and they loved it. It was an inc- incredible experience for them to see a production of a play that they had just read. And then we drove back and then um, everything changed. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was the last play I saw before wow. all the theaters shut down. Well, I'm glad it was a good play. <laughs> it was. You're right. It, it could have been a really um, sad experience if the, if the last play before COVID was a bad production. <laughs> yeah. But it was a good production. And it was cool because they had um, all these plants in the set. So, it, I mean, it was like a very lush fully, um, how do I want to say this? It it was just a very vibrant, lush set. Mm. And my students really loved that. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I love this play. Um, I, I think what struck me about this play was, um, like, like, it felt political without being political. If that Mm. makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think, using the idea of what gardening is and like the ideas behind gardening sort of center uh be centered in this play and everyone's their feelings about the gardening and like they're you could tell their point of views are start showing up and how they really feel and their opinions and it's all circulating around gardening so i i felt like it was like it felt political without being political I, totally. And well, it, and I mean, it's it expand your idea of what political means. It's very mm. political. It's just not about like, like party politics in right. that way. Like, right. You know, but it, it's definitely, if we think about the idea that everything is political, it's about identity and property yeah. and, you know, relationships with our neighbors and right. like, disagreements about our values. Yeah. Yeah. And it was also very funny, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be able to um, 
touch on these ideas, these big thematic ideas without, you know, feeling like such a drag, <laughs> but it was like, right. And how just comical that it can be just to that extreme, I guess. Well, I think that's one of the things she does really well in her writing. Um, she's so good at writing characters and having the comedy come out of a genuine place in the character. So when I think about yeah. teaching playwriting, I think this is such a good example of a character-driven play. Um, yeah. Because each of these four people has is feels so fully realized. Hmm. And the yeah. comedy comes out of just their differences of opinion and um, their blind spots and yeah. Yeah. So who are these characters, Sam? Yeah. So maybe we'll, let's just give a little overview of the play for people who haven't read it. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then the four characters. So it's about these two couples living side by side um, on one side uh, in one house and, and I guess I should say this set design is conceived of, like, you see their backyards. Oh, and so okay. you see the backs of the houses um, that share a fence. But on one side, there's Pablo and Tanya, and she is pregnant, which is another reason I wanted to look at this play. Because <laughs> um, I think it's super interesting to have a character who um, is, she's eight months pregnant, and then the I don't think it will spoil too much to say the play ends in her giving birth. Um, and they've just moved in. And Tanya really wants to um, turn her backyard into this, like, native garden, native plants, um, a haven for all these local um, insects, butterflies, and bees, and really create, like, a an environment that's rich with lots of diversity, biodiversity. And then on the other side of the fence is this couple, Virginia and Frank, who have lived there for a very long time and um, really like their kind of ornamental, um, their ornamental garden that's well pruned and like yeah. very regular and very controlled and, um, because Frank, what's his big goal? He really wants to win the contest. Oh, some horticulture garden. contest, garden <laughs> yeah. contest. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so what I, so I think as a comedy, what, what I thought it was like so fun is like, is putting these characters in a situation as the stakes get higher, mm -hmm. making them like react bigger. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I just feel like that, that was the fun of the comedy. And so, I mean, I think in the first scene or two is um, we set up with Pablo being like, I'm, we got to have this barbecue on Saturday. My whole mm -hmm. firm is coming. All 60 people are coming too. <laughs> I, I, you know, I want to get this promotion. I want to make, be made partner. Um, and in order for me to do that, I got to throw this barbecue. And she's like, what? <laughs> We're not, this home is not ready for to uh, to entertain and to host a barbecue. But that already kind of sets up where the play is going to head. Exactly. The, the, that 
that Tanya and Pablo has this goal in mind that they need to prepare. They need to get their home ready for this barbecue is happening in a week. And, um, and then it's like layered, that's just a start like step one, but then it gets layered with the, 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 um, the gardens or like the, the backyards and how Tanya and Pablo actually own part, like the, the, their backyard is actually like two feet extension into their yard. Right. It's going to affect Frank's uh, comp- uh, ability to ability to compete in this gardening c- contest and like the conflict arises. And so it just starts like layering. It's just like, I love how the stakes just keep rising. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, so they're, they're pushing the other characters buttons and, making them do things that they don't want to do and say, but it's forcing them to do it. So yeah, that's why I just started laughing of like, just, <laughs> just how, like there's just something fun about putting so much value and like uh, Frank just putting like, like, I got to win this contest. I got to beat, <laughs> what's his name? Like Alex or Steven or whatever, like his neighbor, like I got to beat him. Yeah. And you're right that it's, I think what makes the comedy work so well is she takes situations that feel very familiar and then she just keeps pushing it and pushing it to be more and more extreme and more and more outlandish. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it feels like it follows logically from what came right before it. Yeah. Um, in that way that, you know, everybody can be a little bit extreme and <laughs> right. irrational um, when you, when their deep held values or deep held ambitions are kind of touched in an uncomfortable way. Right. Um, yeah. And, and just, <laughs> I think also I want to mention that like, that um to those extremes and like they're saying things that they don't mean and like you mentioned about this politics and like identity politics start mm-hmm. coming out um they're like deeply offended when they're being called something else and they're not mm-hmm. and, and there's just something about that that again it's just so amazing to me that all of this this richness is coming out from just something so kind of basic of just property line and like oh which is which part is my backyard and the gardening <laughs> like it's just, just right. it's so crazy that all of this these point of views comes out from that yeah absolutely and I remember thinking a lot about so this play was commissioned by the Cincinnati Playhouse in the park and it premiered in 2016 in January 2016 mm. and when I was teaching my class it was um spring of 2020 so so i was just thinking a lot at that time about trump of course and Mm. neighbors um all across this country who you know kind of discovered before and during um and after the election of trump that like their neighbors weren't quite who they thought they were and and just more broadly thinking about um, what it means to share space in this country with people mm. who we really disagree with or sometimes people who don't have our best interests at heart or actively want to harm us, you know, actively want to harm each other. And I don't know, there's a kind of innocence in this play or there's like a, 
there's a real um, optimism that we can all just get along. Like we can find something in common with our neighbors who are really different from us and, and we can all just get along. Right. And I, I, I wonder a lot if this play would have been really different if she had written it after the election of Trump. I don't know, but, but I mean, just the idea that it's this white, this like white middle-aged couple living next door to a younger Latinx couple Mm -hmm. And they clearly have really different politics and really different values. But somehow by the end, they're able to like come together, you know, and and it it happens through this birth scene that feels a little bit like a deus ex machina (laughs) to me. And Uh I don't know. I just, I mean, I, I felt that when I saw the production of it, yeah. It worked. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just a question I've had about this play, thinking mm-hmm. like thinking about it throughout the presidency of Trump. Um, mm-hmm. But this kind of thing is even still possible. Yeah. There's something, I forget, I think there was a line here later on. I mean, I think it was Pablo that says it, where he says, um, you know, I thought about voting obama again <laughs> you know it's like mm-hmm. which which i that was a moment we're looking at wait is he are they not democrats or like i was kind of wondered right, right, or something right. where and i love that she complicates that yeah that um you you also can't assume that their politics right. just because by the you know who they are the color of their skin or whatever right um so that and then but it was just one line that mentions right. that which i was like wait a minute who wait yeah, so I guess they are this like, you know, very successful young couple, educated, highly educated, um, and they move into this neighborhood that, but they're being perceived that they're not, you know, they come from a different background. You know, they're kind of right. being stereotyped in a certain way. Um, totally. Yeah. So yeah, that's really interesting. Um, yeah. Um, well, yeah, and I also crazy wonder how, how one this line would change play. that. Mm-hmm. Totally, yeah. No, I just think about how it would play differently too in different parts of the country. Like, because she she's DC based, I'm pretty sure, and oh. and yet, you know, so she wrote it like thinking maybe about that place, but but the fact that it opened first in Ohio and how mm-hmm. it might read really differently in the Midwest than on the East Coast, I don't know. But I just think it's such a fascinating play about neighbors. Yeah. Um, Even though, yeah, as I was reading, even though it's about, um, I mean, the play itself, I feel like it's universal enough where as I was reading it, it made me think about like what's going on in LA of Mm. like, like the homelessness and the unhoused communities and, and how like, there's this compl- this complication of like like you know very young liberals you know they're like let them be wherever they want to be right mm-hmm. and they're like but they're all these unhoused communities are in parks and like kind of like libraries kind of like you know places that is shared public space mm-hmm. and then but then there's this like complexity of like 
they want them there, but they don't want them in their backyard. There's like that NIMBY is like, well, mm-hmm. they could be here in this park, but no, like I don't want them in my backyard, like my personal backyard. I don't want to see a tent in my backyard. There's just, right, and there's the question of who does that public yeah. space belong to? Right. Yeah, and that and that's why yeah exactly, and so that's why like this play, even though it's very specific about it could be about identity or um, about you know the layering of the politics, but then it made me like translates to so many other ideas that kind of mm-hmm. goes beyond where that. I was like, yeah, if I saw this play in LA, I would read it differently too. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, it is interesting. Um, depending on where, if this play was performed in the communities, that it could, it could different, it could mean different things for a lot of people. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even just the question she's raising about private space and public space and mm-hmm. um, what it means to like, own this yeah. land where you're going to grow your plants on and and I, I've been thinking a lot about the history of land ownership because I'm taking a class right now called Indigenous Thought and Theory and so I'm reading a lot of theory about um, just like the history of colonization in this country and so mm. if you really think about the land is stolen that complicates things even yeah. more you know um, yeah. Yeah. Where, you know, Pablo and Tanya, they're doing it there. The way they are proceeding with their, the land ownership is like the right way. They're like, they got a surveyor. They got like, they did the, mm-hmm. they took the steps to say like, this is actually our land and this is where the line is. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, and um, Virginia and Frank, where like they don't really accept that and they right. kind of try to go around it and they're like, well, we know powerful people right. that we could try to get through. You know? And so I thought there was something there too about just power, that dynamic, that power and like in. And the entitlement they feel yeah, to claim this land that's not legally theirs just because right. they've been there longer and they have connections. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that that's such a again, it's really complex and like, but I love how it the way the play is written is also like comical. <laughs> like they're, they're exactly. able to yeah. to convey all these complex ideas in a very heightened and fun way. Um, what else? Yeah. Um, oh, one thing I want to mention and notice in between the scenes are the vignettes. Oh yeah on the pages um first of all i think i think structurally or the form is that each scene is each day like the next day yeah i think if i'm yeah and then in between those those days there are these vignettes that happening and um i'm so curious about your thoughts about because you actually saw it and what these vignettes looked like yeah i mean i to be honest i don't remember them that clearly like when I look at them on the page and I read them, um, I don't have a mental image of how the production staged them. Yeah. But I love I love the structure of it um, within the play because I think it creates this like I don't know. There's there's a kind of um, uh, 
a pause or a, a moment without dialogue between each scene where you can kind of process what just happened and mm-hmm. you're kind of thinking about the power dynamics between the people and um, what's going to happen next. It gives you a moment to kind of anticipate what's going to happen next. But while you're watching something that's just, you know, um, like a person spraying the right. yard or like drinking a cup of coffee or something. Um, and it, so it gives a sense too of the passage of time. Yeah, I really liked it. It's funny. The only thing I really remember, I do remember the workers in the production, um, mm-hmm. the landscapers. And I remember there were some, there were definitely some moments of comedy like when the inspector comes in and puts a stop order on the tree. Like I, I remember mm. little moments of that, but yeah, I, I don't remember a specific um, yeah. concept that the production is. Yeah. What did you um, think? Of? You know, cause I was thinking about how the way plays are written, you know, on the top of the scene, like a new scene, blackout, new scene, right? Mm-hmm. There's like a lot of action at the top. Mm-hmm. Where this one, it, the action was like a transition in between those scenes rather than yeah. the start of the scene, if that makes sense. So I thought that was interesting. Um, at the top of the, was it the page where um, the author's note and st- is at the beginning? Um, and I'll just, I'll just read it. But it says, the play should also use two to four extras to play the silent roles of the surveyor, landscapers, building examiner. There are very short theatrical vignettes between scenes that can help transform the garden. These workers should preferably be Latino. The alternative is to have the transformation happens in the blackout, but that's not as fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I just thought that, that these vignettes are kind of its own scene and its mm-hmm. own um, sketch in a way, kind of. But I, I really like this idea that that um, built into the play, the playwright is saying like, let's, is writing the transitions rather yeah. than kind of relying on the director, like you figure out the transitions, but kind of like writing into the play what the transitions could be. It makes them really active and it makes them yeah. part of the story. And and it it makes the idea that, you know, the people who we think of as behind the scenes Mm-hmm. Like if you, I don't know, There, I, I think about this a lot because I live in Boulder and there's a number of um, wealthy families with very beautiful manicured gardens. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting how like you never or you don't often see the people who make those gardens look so beautiful but but sometimes like I'm walking by in the middle of the day and I do see the people who are working on the garden and it it's like I don't know there's this sense that like they're they're kind of um maintaining everything behind the scenes right you know like they're they're kind of the way um in a play the tech team will change everything over but like you're not really supposed to see it it's like right. it's not part of the show it's just right. something that that happens so that we can get That's to the next scene and the next part of the story yeah. but she's she's making the landscapers part of the show in a really intentional right. way and they and it's i think the note i have in my copy is a little bit different she says 
Um, they exude unique personalities as they work. They are the witnesses mm. and the energetic transformers of both the play and the situation. So oh. this idea that they are witnessing everything that's happening and they're also actively um, transforming the space yeah. is really cool. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Hmm. That's cool. And they're not behind the scenes. They're no. they're like part of the show. It's yeah. Really That's awesome. Cool. Um, okay, I have one more question. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So at the beginning of my copy, I don't know if this is in the copy you read, but there's a quotation. She includes that says, the difference mm. between a flower and a weed is judgment. And it just says unknown. Oh, so, wow. No, I didn't. There, there wasn't that quote in my. What do you think about that oh, in the context so of this play? The difference between oh. a flower and a weed is a judgment. Oh, yeah. I mean, wow. That's so deep. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess depending on the person's like prejudice, like kind of like their feeling yeah. of like what, because yeah, you're right. If you, you'll think if it's a weed to you, it's a weed. Mm -hmm. Like where another person might like, this is like a beautiful plant, a flower. It's a dandelion, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah. it's so funny that, that judgment, um, oh, that I really feel like, wow, that quote really feels like it summed up the play like the the core of the play's idea really well yeah because it gets at questions of not only aesthetic beauty like what is beautiful mm -hmm. to look at but also questions of belonging yeah. I remember because I've taken a number of gardening classes because that's the kind of person I am and and something I've heard a lot in the gardening world is a weed is just a plant out of place mm. that um a lot of times we think of weeds as weeds because they're growing where we don't want them. Right. And, and they might be like totally at home in that environment of our garden because they've been growing in that place for like thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. But if that's where we want to put our rose bush, then it, that renders it a weed. Right. And I think one of the things she's getting at in this play with the characters as well is the sense of who gets to belong in this space. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. Yeah. Uh, as I'm thinking about that quote and just the play that we read is I'm just like also thinking about um, like how we place value and meanings like of things that, um, like with you know Regina and Frank they they want like in their these two in these two pairs uh these couples like in their mind they're right <laughs> like yeah like their actions and what they're doing the way they're thinking they believe that the, what they are doing is the right thing and and so in that self-judgment of oh what I'm doing is right and like I have to figure out how to make this right even more, but like, but that they are placing meaning into something that maybe didn't belong there for, like it could be wrong for all these people. Right. Yeah. But um, there's just something about that, that <laughs> yeah, I, 
Wow. I love that quote. It's a good quote. Yeah, me too. Is it, is it unknown because Karen thought of this quote and <laughs> didn't want to say it? Like- I had the same thought, but I was not going to say it out loud. <laughs> Anytime you see a quote like that, that just is unknown. Unknown. Like, it's the playwright, it's right? <laughs> they want to say, like, I'm, I want to create something like really like ominous and interesting at the top profound. of the like profound, but I don't want to say it's from me. <laughs> That's funny. No, but I really On like the that other hand, she could have just yeah. made that a line of dialogue. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Could have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to choose to believe it's a real quote she heard somewhere, but, it, but the source is unknown. Yeah. Could have been um, Karen's mother. <laughs> um, yeah, I would love to read that. Um, but cool. Um, any any last minute thoughts about this play or um, or, or what does this or favorite question? Uh, what does this play smell like to you? Ooh, um, just just be in the garden. Just the smells of soil and herbs and I don't know, just yeah. plants. Yeah, I was like smelling like. Like, um, you know, when like the leaves fallen and it's kind of like mm-hmm. damp on the ground. Mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. why. There's something about the, those like damp leaves on the ground. I started to smell that. Maybe because of the oak tree. I don't know. But I started, I thought about fall for some reason. The that. smell yeah. fall. Um, I do have a final thought before we move yes. to glistens. Mm-hmm. Those of you out there, listeners, who have maybe a little patch of land where you can grow things. Tanya does have a point that planting plants that can feed the insects is really, really important because we've had a collapse of population of our insects and then the birds have nothing to eat if there's no insects. So please plant native plants. That's my PSA. Um, my PSA is forget it. Don't plant <laughs> native plants. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you do you boo <laughs> that's what they would say just kidding no I um no, there's something true to that no I agree yeah I just I yeah what you were mentioning about these like beautiful backyards and I, I just think about like every suburban home in California where they're just like garden and like grass and they're just constantly just running the water running the sprinklers i know sprinklers. All older, there's sprinklers running all the time <sighs> yeah and you don't have the water to spare yeah yeah mm-hmm. and and so and, and i saw it i i remember reading somewhere this like changing changing in the thought of like you know they want to conserve water so then you know people are planning a more um uh, like desert plant type things and like yeah. succulents and things like that, and but also people are like actually gardening too, like growing their own food in right. the garden, which probably takes more water, just as much water. But like yeah. idea but that you're not transporting it, yeah, yeah. The idea that that like why why did we create this vision of that a backyard or the front yard should look like this? Like who made like a grassy lawn? Yeah, like why? Who? I think it came from England. 
Was it England? Don't don't quote me on this, people, because like I really don't know. I think you might be right. But my hypothesis is that um, you know, there's this whole movement in England to have this like these like rolling grassy expanses um for the British aristocracy. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we imported that idea to the US. Yeah. The idea of the grassy lawn. Yeah. I know it was, I know, yeah, I don't know where it came from, but for sure, I know, I remember reading somewhere that the 50s, the 1950s, mm. the kind of that Mer- the American home, like, where um, all these houses were being built and looked the same way. And so all the lawns were like all that uniformity of it all, like had to yeah. look a certain way. Um, well, and what people say is that they need a space for their kids to play, right? And their dogs right. to play. They need like a space, a grassy space. But then if you really look at those yards, how often do they actually have <laughs> kids playing outside? Yeah, nope. It's 2022. It's just <laughs> not happening. They're, they're, they're on their phone. Games. Yeah, they're <laughs> on their phone. They're TikToking. They're not, they're not playing in the yards anymore. This, the, that yard is for you. Like you're doing it for yourself. Yeah. It's for status. Um, yeah, for status and yeah. image. But you know how some there are like HOA fees, like or um, mm, that's true. Like you have to look a certain way. Like your your yard mm-hmm. has to look a certain way. You get fined by the community. Like I don't know. Like all of that needs to just freaking change or go away. This is all reminding me of another great episode that we did on the play Hurricane Diane. So Ooh. listeners, if you haven't listened to that episode, we highly encourage you to go check it out. Yes. If you need more gardening content. <laughs> go check it out right after this episode all right let's move on to glistens all right um you want to go first sure um i came back to boulder and went for a walk on my little trail at the end of my street and discovered somebody picking berries off of a um shrub and i asked her what they were and they're choke cherries choke. and i tried a couple and they're so delicious I think they're called choke cherries because they have like a really big seed in the middle. Oh. Um, don't worry, I didn't choke. No, actually, they could also be called choke cherries because when they're unripe, they're really astringent. So they have that, oh. they just have like a really strong, sour, unpleasant taste in the mouth. But anyway, okay. when they're ripe, they're so delicious. And she told me she was going to make jam. Oh. And that's my glisten choke cherries, a native plant. Okay, Colorado. All right. Um, my glisten. Um, I've been. God, this is so bad. I'm gonna sound so bad. Um, I've been like YouTubing, (laughs) watching YouTube videos, and I've been following this channel called Korean Englishman. Um, (laughs) which it's this this British man, like this English man who is just like trying to bring Korean culture into to England and introduce corn food in England and um <laughs> and he's the the YouTube channel right now is in a series where uh he's brought these like British high school students and brought them to Korea oh my <laughs> so, gosh so it's, it's all just, on YouTube it's all on YouTube yeah it's called Korean Englishman and I've been following this series a show or it's like you know 15 20 minute video but it's just i just it's so funny where like i didn't re- like like english people had z- like 
they had no idea like what Korea is or something, which is wow. I don't know, it sounds so weird. Or, I guess because I'm from California, so I'm like, Koreans are everywhere <laughs> or something. Because do, do they think of it as like North Korea? No, or it's just they like just they not just, just like think this. about it at all. Didn't think about it all, and there's really I guess because there's really no Korean communities in England. Maybe there I think there is a Koreatown that just started growing, establishing, but it's not like vi- like big or anything. Um. But it just seeing their reaction to Korean food and and just like it's just, they're just they're just like I can't believe I'm like one one guy said like I'm tasting colors in my mouth you know like they're just like so astonished that they're like you know it's like they were it's like they just been awakened about like all the different flavor profiles that is possible you know it's just funny them to see the react but but I just that been just watching kind that. of fun to watch. It is fun. Yeah, they're just so boggled and like, this is Korean fried chicken. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're just like, and like pairing and all the different foods and the Korean barbecue and all the side dishes and the vegetables. And they're just like, wow. Um, but yeah, I'm watching with the high school kids that are visiting Korea and they're just so astonished. <laughs> they're like, um, you do love food, Sarah. I do love food and I love watching food reaction. And so I just love seeing. British men being so like, oh my goodness, this is oh, this is beer. This is Korean beer. You know, just like, I don't know. It's so funny. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's my glisten. Right, um, I'll check it out. Yep. Yeah. Uh, thank you for listening, listeners. We hope you enjoyed this talk, and I'll read Native Gardens. Um, it's fun. It's a very fun read for sure. Entertaining. All right. All right. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Beckett's Babies. If you enjoyed what you heard or learned a thing or two about playwriting, be sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast with your friends. And if you'd like to reach out and share with us your thoughts on playwriting and theater or maybe be a guest on the show, uh, be sure to visit our website at www.beckettsbabies.com. That's www.beckettsbabies.com, and you can contact us there. Thanks for listening. <laughs>